Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. I trust that our season premiere episode left you all petrified. Judging by the plethora of comments I've received, I'd say you all missed me, or at the very least missed the show. A lot of you reached out, and for that I'm thankful. Well, I certainly had a lot of fun putting that one together, as I did this evening's effort. Tonight's show is packed with ghosts, mysteries, and a couple monsters as well. But before we get started, speaking of that Season 14 Transportation Special Premiere, it seems I unintentionally left a story out of the Beyond portion of that episode. I'm not sure how it happened, but the bottom line is that it did. So instead of playing it there, I'm going to share it with you, here. So, Nikki from Canada. Let's try this again, shall we? Hi there, this is a transportation story for you. My name is Nikki, I'm from Canada. In 2017, I visited Hawaii. And while we were there, we did Maui and we also did Oahu. Now, when we were on Oahu, we decided to go to Pearl Harbor. My partner at the time was really into military history, and being we're from Canada, obviously we don't get as much exposure to American war history as we do Canadians, so I agreed and off we went. We went to Pearl Harbor and didn't really know what we'd be able to do and everything. We didn't do the Arizona Memorial, we left that up to the lovely American individuals who wanted to pay their respects. Not that we didn't, but we felt that we would give them the place in line before ourselves. So we did do the SS Missouri. On the Missouri, we had a tour from a retired veteran who is a marvelous man. And I don't know how aware people are that during the conflict with Japan, uh, the Missouri was actually hit by a kamikaze pilot. He hit the side of the ship in such a way that his wing clipped off the side and spun his plane into the ocean. When it did, his plane actually, I believe, exploded. And as sinister as this is, the kamikaze pilot's body kind of exploded out of the water and ended up on board. General Callahan, who was the captain at the time, declared that he'd have an honorable burial at sea despite the um, protests of the crew member that he'd just be shoved overboard because he was, in their eyes, the enemy. And I believe Callahan got a commendation after that. So, as well as all this, below decks, they had just recently opened, I think it was probably like a year or two before, a kamikaze exhibit. Now, we went under and I knew more or less the kind of concept of kamikaze tradition. 
you know, we were respectfully reading the letters and things. So a kamikaze pilot will write a letter to their family. And the heartbreaking part is a lot of it is these letters saying, you know, I don't know if I'm ready to go. I'll miss you. I don't want to die kind of sentiments in these letters. It's really hard to read sometimes. So at one point, my partner and I separate and we're walking around. And the whole area, as you imagine, kind of gives you this air of like, somber sort of sadness, sort of like a heavy feeling, much like the one that you'd probably get going through a graveyard. And as I round a corner, there's this diorama and it kind of looks, if I remember it correctly, it was a chair sat next to a telephone. And I remember standing there and kind of contemplating it. And then I hear a phone ring. I look around, realize we haven't brought our cell phones because they wouldn't have done anything at the time. And I realize it's the phone ringing. Now, from what I remember, I couldn't actually touch anything. Like, I think it was behind Plexi or there was a barricade. I just remember this feeling of, like, something really, really wanting my attention. And I said out loud, I'm really sorry, and I hope you can find peace. And the phone stopped. Now, I went back and forth through that exhibit, hoping to hear the phone ring again, hoping to, you know, get something else out of it. And I didn't. The whole deck of that area is the saddest, most somber feeling and for good reason a lot of the artifacts are you know authentic so I can't imagine the weight that they carry I also know that there were many deaths on board that ship and yeah I can't imagine the kind of entities that probably exist on that part of me is thankful I didn't see anything it was only auditory I have one other story it's not transit related when we were in our hotel in Honolulu it was an interesting hotel in that I could never sleep I would keep having nightmares about a girl, a Japanese girl, standing in the hallway, and all the lights would be out, but she would be illuminated. I remember at one point waking up and seeing what at first I thought was a girl crouched in front of me, like looking at me through her hair. Kind of like, I don't know, like the girl from the ring kind of vibe. And eventually, like, I got so uneasy about staying in the hotel room that I'd find any reason not to go in the hotel. Like, I would not stay alone in there. It just, like, it. I didn't like it. It felt like something was coming for me. I remember saying to my ex, like, you know, like, do you feel weird here? And he would say, no, like, I feel fine. What's up? And I would not sleep. I would have dreams, like, hearing a knock at the door and checking the people, and the girl would be there. So we had probably a week there, and we laughed and everything, came home, and I remember leaving the hotel and feeling like, yes, finally I can leave, I can go home, I don't have to be here anymore. And when I got home, I kind of was like, I wonder what the vibe is on this place. And I got home and I looked up and sadly a girl had plunged to her death from our floor and died from that hotel. I didn't look up her face because I don't feel like I needed the confirmation that she was going to be the one that I saw. But for whatever reason, the energy I got around the place was just very dark, very sinister, and very not nice. The other weird thing was that we would never see people in the hallway. I would never hear people going to the other rooms. I would see them in the lobby, and that was it. And that felt really strange to me. It just, like, the whole hotel itself felt kind of weird. Like, there was a weird thing going on. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, Canada loves you, and keep on keeping on. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Nikki. Now, I admittedly knew very little about the Missouri, or BB-63, as it's painted on the side. 
So I did what I do and went digging. And interestingly enough, she wasn't in Pearl Harbor during the attacks on December 7th, 1941. But that doesn't mean the ship's presence wasn't felt throughout the war. In fact, the war ended on the decks of the USS Missouri. The battleship Missouri, 53,000-ton flagship of Admiral Halsey's 3rd Fleet, becomes the scene of an unforgettable ceremony marking the complete and formal surrender of Japan. In the Bay of Tokyo itself, the United States destroyer Buchanan comes alongside, bringing representatives of the Allied powers to witness the final capitulation. General of the Army Douglas MacArthur, Supreme Allied Commander for the Occupation of Japan, boards the Missouri. Fleet Admiral Nimitz, Pacific Fleet Commander, and Admiral Halsey welcome MacArthur and his Chief of Staff, General Sutherland, aboard. Admiral Nimitz escorts General MacArthur to the Missouri's veranda deck, where the 20-minute ceremony is to take place. It is Sunday, September 2nd, 1945. Now that's an authentic United News clip from the period. And of course, the ship saw death. The ship claimed five official kills on planes shot down, which I thought was shockingly low given a ship of her caliber. And she did participate in the invasion of Iwo Jima and Okinawa, as well as attacks on the Japanese mainland. The point being, the ship saw plenty of action and plenty of carnage. So it should be no surprise that some energy may be lingering on. But what's weird, however, outside of Nikki's story, of course, is that I cannot find a single paranormal story associated with the battleship turned museum. And there were plenty of opportunities. She was decommissioned in 1955, but recommissioned in 1986 to participate in the Cold War. She was finally re-decommissioned in 1992, giving sailors from the 80s and early 90s a full six years to experience the ghosts of the ship's past. Yet, I found nothing. Now perhaps it's not mentioned out of respect. Maybe it's a paranormal dead zone. Or maybe it's conspiratorial, and the military simply doesn't allow that information out. I somehow doubt that one, though. Or maybe there's simply nothing to this experience at all. But just don't tell Nikki that, because she sounds pretty convinced. Thanks again, Nikki, for sharing your entry. And if any of you out there listening has a USS Missouri story, please send it in. If I'm honest, I think I'm more weirded out that I didn't find anything, rather than finding something. And if you do want to call into the program... Hit up that hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now please remember, avoid calling from moving vehicles or using one of those weird Bluetooth things. If you call from a quiet place with a good connection, it'll save me mountains of time later on. And you know I appreciate that. Again, that number is 1-888-608-NIGHT. Now up next, more missing time. Now this is quickly becoming a popular topic, as it seems our simulation starts to break down around us. But I've said too much already. So please welcome James from Texas. 
to the program. Hey, what's up, Derek? James from Texas. Just got another missing time story for you. I just was listening to season 11, episode 19, and they had mentioned the missing time story there, and it made me remember this one. Uh, This happened way back when, uh, probably when I was five or six, I don't know, but I remember going to sleep. I was in bed, I was looking at the clock, I think it was like 8.30, and I closed my eyes. Immediately after I closed my eyes, my mom came in the room and woke me up and it was like 6.30 the next morning. I don't remember any of it. You know, yes, I was going to bed, but it was like, and I even told my mom, I was like, I just fell asleep. How is it already morning? And sure enough, it was, you know, daylight outside and are starting to be daylight outside. And she says, well, I don't know, but it's time to get up. So better get up. So anyway, so a little bit of missing time there. Now, what makes mine a little bit different than his, though, is I actually woke up a few days later. I was kind of just playing with Hot Wheels cars or something, and I noticed a scar on my finger. And I don't remember ever cutting my finger to the point where I needed a scar. And it had already basically become scar tissue, actually. And and there was definitely nothing on my finger that I could remember being there. And, you know, as in a child can, you know, those those real, real slender, real skinny fingers, the scar, the scar tissue was actually whelp. I mean, it was like a, it was a pretty, pretty good size whelp on where the scar tissue was. But uh, I still have that scar. I'll actually send it to you in a picture. But uh, it's, of course, is nowhere near as whelp because my fingers have fattened up a little bit as I've gotten older, but it's still there, and I just don't have any explanation for the missing time or that scar, so who knows, man? Who knows? Again, great job. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you, James. Another time slip story. Like I just mentioned, these are becoming quite frequent these days. Now, I'm not entirely sure what to make of that information, but it's true information. And maybe it's like James suggested. He did admit to falling asleep. So maybe he was just really tired and slept through the night. But then how do you explain the scar? Now if I can find the image that James sent in, I'll post it up in the show notes. And James, if you haven't sent it in, let this be your friendly reminder. Now for a little something that just might be from out of this world. Please welcome Melinda from Canada. Hi, Derek. My name is Melinda, and I am calling from Northern Ontario, Canada, on a cold December night. It is nearly midnight. It's about a quarter to 12, so it is very dark out and very cold. I have a bit of a two-parter to share, so I will go back to about February or March of this year for the first part. Now, I am a longtime former cigarette smoker, and at the start of the pandemic, I will admit that just overall pressures and stressors in life, I took up the habit shortly again. Now, I never smoked in my house. I always went outside to smoke cigarettes on my back deck. And I have a chair, one of those Muskoka-style chairs that kind of leans backwards. And I would sit on the deck and have a cigarette. And often I would do this late at night before going to bed. And anyhow, I started to notice 
for several nights in a row that far off in the distance, there was a light in the sky. It would alternate between being blue and being red. And it was too high up in the sky to be a tower. So I assumed it must be some kind of satellite or something. In any case, I thought it was unusual enough that I called my husband outside one night to see it. And again, the next night when it was still there. So I just dismissed this red, blue light, just figuring, again, it must be a satellite or something. I didn't really give it any more thought than that and didn't look into it or anything. And then tonight, I was outside. I had just come from a really late night run to a store uh, to pick up a couple of things. And I was unloading my car in my driveway again, maybe 15 minutes ago. So 11.30 at night, it's very dark, very cold. It's about minus 10 degrees Celsius. So there are not people outside doing things. Everybody's inside, nice and safe and warm. Anyhow, I happened to be unloading my car when I just glanced up and faster than I could even process, I saw a ball of light low in the air, maybe a hundred feet up in the sky, so very low, shoot over my head and over my house, and it was moving in a in a downward trajectory, alternating colors between blue and red. Now, I have no idea (laughs) what this was, but immediately it brought me back to the blue and red flashing light that I saw in the sky back in February or March. But I, I mean, I don't think that they could be the same thing because this wasn't very large and I don't know that I would have necessarily been able to see the light on this object at such a distance like I had in February and or March. But it was so bright and I was, like I said, unloading my car and I just kind of dropped things and rushed up the driveway to my backyard to see if I could catch another glimpse of it. But it was long gone. I haven't seen many drones in our area ever. I don't think that at this hour and in these temperatures that someone might be outside flying a drone. But even if somebody were, I just don't imagine that it could have moved nearly as fast as this object passed over by. It moved so quickly that I I really just thought it was a shooting star. But when I looked up, it was far too close to the ground. It was not nearly high up enough. And like I said, the alternating blue and red lights are, are really what surprised me and what I thought was unusual. In any case, again, I have no idea what this might have been, and I wish that somebody else had been present to see it with me, but I was by myself. So hopefully, you'll just take my word for it. (laughs) It was very bizarre, and I don't know if it's related to what I saw previously. I don't know that it could be, but I don't know that it isn't. Again, the red and blue lights is odd. And one immediately made me think of the other. In any case, I thought that I would share. I thought this was really unusual. I don't know if anyone has seen anything similar. But again, I just wanted to share. I really do love Monsters Among Us podcast. Thank you so much for the work that you do, Derek. 
It's by far my favorite podcast program. Thank you again, and happy holidays. Happy holidays to you too, Melinda. And thank you for sending in your encounter. Now that just goes to show you how deep the pool of caller submissions is over here. And I'm embarrassed to say that that's probably not the oldest submission. But keep those calls coming and have some patience. Because I'll get to them eventually. Now a lot of you out there might not believe this. But I too had another UFO experience just the other day. I think it was about a week and a half ago. You see I have a tendency to get up early. 4am most mornings. I'm not a good sleeper. In the summer, I've grown accustomed to sneaking out to our inflatable hot tub before the sun comes up to relax and listen to some of my favorite podcasts and just watch the sky. Well, this particular day, I saw something that, frankly, shook me at first. Above my house, directly above my crow weather vane, I saw a vibrant white orb come floating above the house. Now, I did not have my glasses on, so judging the distance was difficult. I couldn't tell if it was 50 feet up or 50,000. But it was much larger and brighter than anything else in the sky, and looked almost close enough to see some detail, though I couldn't quite make it out. But there it was, slowly meandering through the mostly darkened sky. Now, believe it or not, I actually practiced what I preach, and I quickly whipped out my phone and captured it on video a video I've linked to in tonight's show notes so jump over and take a look now I filmed this mysterious ball of light for a full minute and 21 seconds before it slipped past the cedar trees above my place now I also took my own advice with my next move once it was out of my sight I opened my Skyview app a real time app that identifies all the celestial objects visible in your area at that time And that's where this mystery fell apart. According to the app, what I witnessed float directly over my house was none other than the International Space Station. So it's now an identified flying object. Again, I've linked to that video that I shot in the show notes if you want to go take a look. I was certainly fooled by what I saw. So maybe others have been as well. I'm sure you've heard me mention it, but we live on top of a mountain. sort of remote out here. So as a result, Sarah and I cook at home a lot. And one of the hardest things about cooking at home is deciding what to make. In the past, we've been guilty of falling into the same boring meal rotation. But not anymore. Green Chef helps us keep dinner interesting, with 24 weekly recipes to choose from, and the option to mix and match meals from different preferences. So you can toss a vegetarian, vegan, or keto option into the mix if you want to. Or accommodate everyone in your household's dietary requirements. We find Green Chef to be very convenient. The pre-made and pre-measured sauces, dressings, and spices give us fresh, vibrant flavor in less time. They also help cut down on food waste. And Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. The fast and fit meals are under 700 calories and ready in 25 minutes or less. It makes eating healthy easier, and we don't have to sacrifice flavor. Now, Green Chef is offering Monsters Among Us listeners an awesome deal. Go to greenchef.com forward slash monstersamonguss135 
and use code MONSTERSAMONGUS135 to get $135 off across five boxes, plus free shipping on your first box. That's greenchef.com forward slash MONSTERSAMONGUS135 with code MONSTERSAMONGUS135 for $135 off across five boxes, plus free shipping. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to that eye shine in your backyard. Now, next up, we continue our journey through the paranormal with this nightmare inducer from Lauren in the state of Indiana. Hi, my name is Lauren. I am from northern Indiana, and I had a strange experience the other day. I'm not a very heavy sleeper. I don't sleep well. I've had insomnia for as long as I can remember. And even with the help of medication for my sleep, I still only sleep like two hours at a time and then I'll be awake and then I sleep for two more hours at a time. So the other night I was asleep. I was probably within, um, not a deep sleep, but sleep enough. And I heard this pop in my room and it sounded like it came from the wall and I bolted upright because it was just it was a weird noise in a weird area and then I heard of my voice say hey there little buddy so we have a five-month-old kitten and he's a little guy so I, that's what I call him my little buddy so I'm always going hey there little buddy but it was bizarre because there's this pop and then I heard my voice and I was wide awake when this happened I wasn't you know in that hazy fog halfway asleep, half awake. It was so strange. And I just, I don't know what to make of it because it was really jarring to hear my voice saying a phrase that I use all the time, but it wasn't coming out of my mouth. Like I wasn't sleep talking. No one else in our house was awake. It was just really, really strange. And I don't know what to make of it. So maybe, maybe you can, I don't know, shed some light on what it could have been. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Lauren. That is quite unsettling. But let's break it all down just a little bit. I, too, have a similar sleep style. A couple hours here, a couple hours there. Which is why I can be in the hot tub at 4 or 5 in the morning. And I also suffer from a little-known sleep disorder called EHS, or Exploding Head Syndrome. Now, essentially, it's auditory hallucinations that are created by the brain. It's a phenomenon that only the experiencer can hear the moments they begin to fall asleep. Now, typically, I hear a loud crashing sound in the room, but obviously none had really occurred. Others hear claps, pops, and even sometimes loud voices. So perhaps that could explain the popping sound that Lauren described, but it certainly doesn't help us with that mimicked voice. And I'm at a bit of a loss with that one, to be frank. The only thing I can think to explain that occurrence away is a far-fetched theory involving an Alexa or Google Assistant. You see, the device would have to record Lauren saying that phrase, then coincidentally or accidentally replaying it at this precise time. That's a long shot if I've ever heard one. But outside of the paranormal, that's about all I've got. Now, we appreciate the call, Lauren. And please let us know if it should happen again. And good luck with whatever that thing is. 
Now, folks, I mentioned this last week, but it's still true today. Our merchandise shop is open. Hit up our website at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop to get all the info and pick up some Monsters Among Us gear for yourself. And we're not quite ready to announce it just yet, but our annual fall hoodie pre-order will begin soon. So listen for those announcements on future episodes or follow along on social media to watch for the sale to begin. And I'm not sure I'm allowed to tell you guys this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Sarah just made the finalizations on the brand new Halloween design for this fall, which we will be unveiling at some point next week. So stay tuned for that design as well. Okay, our next entry was sent in from my state of California. Crystal, welcome to the program. Hey Derek, so my name is Crystal, and around 2014, I lived in a house in a location called Lemert Park in Los Angeles that I previously lived in at age one. My grandfather owned this property, so he allowed us to stay there. As soon as we moved in, I immediately felt very creepy vibes, and I was not one of those kids who would go into a house and, you know, feel energy of homes and decide if it was haunted or not. I definitely wasn't one of those people. But in this home, I definitely felt a very strange, depressing vibe. So I was around 14 at the time. And it kind of started when my little dog, Tater, would freeze up and just stare at random places in the room, as well as the fact that my sister would have random orb photos that would appear on her phone during the day, I guess, after she woke up. She would check her phone and she would randomly see these orb photos that didn't look like bugs or dust, but they were photos inside of the bedroom where you could clearly see a dark room in these orbs. And one of the creepiest aspects that we all remember is that, for one, this was a standalone home. And there was, of course, a wall parallel to the staircase that would often have really strange activity inside of it. So we definitely... Belief had an attic that no one went in, but there would be no way that the attic would lead all the way down to the staircase, of course. And it was kind of strange that we would hear someone walking up and down the staircase, especially during the evening. So there were three consecutive days where I woke up at 4.15 a.m. exactly. And the first night was not as creepy. I just woke up, had a weird feeling, and I couldn't return to bed until hours later. The next night, I stayed at my great-grandmother's house in South Central, and particularly in my great-aunt's room. And she was laying next to me in bed, and I woke up again at 4.15. And in the place of her face, I saw a white man with orange hair, a very wide grin, and creepy, like, eyes that were just, like, wide open, just staring at me. I immediately started screaming, and she immediately started praying over me as if it didn't surprise her when I told her what had happened, which was really strange to me and creepy as well. So the next day back at home, I woke up at the exact same time and one of my sisters was in the room with me who witnessed this and remembers it. And I could move, so I don't really know if it falls under the category of sleep paralysis, but I felt as if reality around me was melting or as if I was underwater. I couldn't really speak properly. I mean, it was very muffled and I felt like I couldn't breathe, as well as just the visuals of everything around me melting. So it was extremely creepy. After that, nothing in the house really happened. 
besides, of course, the same old sounds in, in the wall next to the staircase and the dog just freezing up and staring around. But later on, years after we had moved out, we found out that it was a hospice home for many people throughout the 60s and 70s. Yeah, I haven't experienced anything like that since then. And uh, we moved out about a year after all of that. But yeah, that's just my story. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. Bye. Thank you, Crystal. A former hospice house. If you want paranormal activity... I feel like turning a structure like that into a family residence is a recipe for just that. It's no wonder so much was experienced there. But as wild as those claims are, it's certainly not the first time we've heard those sorts of claims. And you know I have it on good authority that this also won't be the last. So thank you again, Crystal, for taking the time to share. Now before we hit up this next call, a brief announcement that many of you have been asking for. Shadows in the Desert, High Strangeness, in the Borrego Triangle. The feature-length documentary film David Flora of Blurry Photos and Hysteria 51 and I are currently working on. Well, it's very, very close to completion. We're expecting our final cut from our amazing editor, Matt Van Heusen, in just a few short weeks. Then that's when we begin talks with our distributor. And that's when you get to see it. In addition, all the Kickstarter reward packages are ordered and ready to ship. Just as soon as we get those Blu-rays. Now folks, I know this has been a lengthy process. But keep in mind that this is a side project. A labor of love. And an ultra low budget film. So it's going to take a little bit longer than most to put together. But you know, having watched this current cut some 30 times, I can say with the utmost confidence, it'll be worth the wait. So I'll be sure to make a full announcement when it's ready. But trust me when I say, we're still working diligently. And we're almost there. Now I heard there was something strange above the sky in the state of Illinois. I wonder if Richard happened to get a look. Hi Derek, this is Richard. I'm actually calling from Illinois. Now the event that I'm calling about took place in Iowa. So your episode 13 from season 12, you had a caller, his name was Patrick. He called about seeing some sort of light up in the sky, maybe a UFO or something along those lines. It it was a blinking light that he kept seeing. No timing, no rhythm really to it, just kind of fading in and out. This happened to me too. And it happened on Labor Day weekend of 2019. So me and my family were going out to Iowa to my mother's house to put up a pool she bought. And it was kind of a special event because my older brother was coming and he hasn't been out there for a good couple of years. So being that the whole family was there, we were trying to make it quick and easy, put up the pool, kind of hang out, still have some time for family and still make it back. Um, given the extra day with Labor Day. So we got out there. Everything was fine. Beautiful day. A little bit hot. Hot enough to put up a pool. Once we got the pool started filling up with the hose, we decided, you know, get some dinner, maybe start a bonfire. We had the bonfire. I do have to admit, I had a drink or two. I'm not that big of a drinker. But, you know, given the hard work, hard play, huh? 
So I'm sitting there and we're just kind of chit-chatting about stuff. Something caught my eye and it seemed like a star blinked out. And I remember looking up, I saw the blank area and I just kind of kept staring in the same spot and it faded in. Patrick, the previous caller, talked about it being similar to dimming on and off a light with a light switch. And that's the best way that I can describe it. And it seemed to fade back in maybe one or two seconds and then it faded out and then i waited again and i'm like and it, did i really see this and then it did it again it started fading back in and i'm like oh my god is that, anybody else see that and, and my mom was standing right next to her sitting right next to me and she said well, yeah i've seen that i couldn't believe it that someone else was seeing it so me and my mother were staring there just looking up at it and I remember my other brother that hadn't been out to my mom's house in forever. He's like, ah, oh, you guys ain't seeing nothing. I'm like, dude, it's right there. You see that star? And he's like, ah, so he starts looking. And then it, it blinked one more time. And I remember him saying, he's like, oh, that's just Google. They're watching us. Uh -huh, you know, and everybody around the fire just started laughing. And as the conversation amongst them kept going, me and my mom were just keep on staring. And it, it didn't blink anymore. It didn't come back. Just kind of faded off to the night sky and I remember each time it faded away it was just black like it, it was never there and when it blinked back into existence it would actually look like a star but it would be a little bit brighter and a little bit bigger than all the other stars around it for me I don't know what to make of that but I've always been you know very skeptical try to be very logical about anything that I've ever seen you know rule out anything like a satellite or if I hear a knock in the house it's got to be the air vent or something like that but this that happened I, I have no explanation for there was no movement there was no airplane it was in the same spot and I had someone else see it and I questioned my mom without telling her what I was looking at and she validated exactly what I was staring at now that happened in Iowa so fast forward two weeks, I remember coming back to Illinois and that's when I seen it again. I saw it in my backyard with my wife and I. We were the only two and it was this time 10, 30, 11 at night. I built a deck in the backyard. So we were just kind of sitting on it, just enjoying the night, clear night, just like it was on Labor Day weekend. Stars abundant and it just happened to happen again. A star that wasn't there blinked back in or dimly lit back in. It blinked at us. And I was like, did you see that? And she said, yeah, I seen that. Because that's the same thing I saw at my mother's. And then it did it again. Now, again, there wasn't any sort of rhythm to it because instantly I started trying to rule out anything else it could be. You know, being that I've seen it before and seen it now again this time couple weeks later and we just sat there and watched it afterwards we kind of just sat there and talked about it and I kept telling her like that's exactly what I saw out of my mom's house and my mom seen it you know it made me feel validated that someone else saw it again with me so when it came to your episode 13 on season 12 when Patrick said that he seen that somewhere else they sounded like he was Australian or something but he seen it too and then he said that he wanted to hear anyone else had heard it before made me have to call in patrick if you're listening man you're not the only one that's seen something like that so maybe my brother was right maybe it's google spying on us or something so Derek, i love the show uh, keep on going on man all right man take care
Thank you, Richard. You know, Patrick's call originated out of Tasmania, by the way. I'm not sure if that matters, but if anyone was curious. Now, any long-time listener can tell you that we've had plenty of calls describing the exact same thing that Patrick and Richard just described. Truth be told, I've seen it too, in my UFO hot tub. But you know, I've always assumed it was space junk caught in orbit, and it just happened to hit the sun just right to give a flash of light down below. I assumed it was an orbiting, discarded rocket stage, and there's plenty of stuff like that floating around up there. And I thought this because I always seemed to see it an hour or so before sunset or sunrise. And it seems like I always see it in the same angle in the sky. In fact, the app that I spoke of earlier, Skyview, will actually show you a lot of this space junk and tell you which mission it's actually from. Now, I haven't tried to use the app to identify this phenomenon that I've witnessed, but now I feel I have to. I will keep my eyes open, and I'll report back with my findings, should I see anything. And thank you again, Richard, for calling in. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. It's easy to get stuck. You find yourself dwelling on your problems rather than figuring out how to solve them. And it's easy to fixate on the negative, too. And I think we can all agree there's no shortage of that these days. But there are methods to help cope with everyday struggles. Therapy has personally given me the tools to become a better problem solver and manage the ups and downs of life in a healthier way. And I'm betting it'll also do the same for you. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and live chat therapy sessions It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. So you can connect with your therapist from anywhere. Get matched with a therapist that is right for you. Simply fill out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists at any time. If you've been thinking about therapy, take this as your sign to get started now. And I know you'll be glad you did. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to the route. Now, I have a couple super creepy ones to close this thing out. Beginning with John in the state of Oklahoma. Hey, Derek, this is John. I'm from eastern Oklahoma, and and I was wanting to tell you about an experience I had when I was really young. My family and I lived just off of a ranch uh, in northeastern Oklahoma, and it was in a really rural area. I had a cousin that would often stay with us, and my grandparents would take care of us. We both slept in my bedroom. We had a bunk bed. I slept on the bottom bunk, and he would tend to sleep on the top bunk. But one particular day, he really wanted to sleep on the bottom bunk, so I let him. We were probably about five years old at this time. Anyway, it comes nighttime. We go to sleep. I'm sleeping on the inside, sort of against the wall. He's sleeping on the outside of the bottom bunk. And I wake up to 
the bed shaking and this warm, wet feeling, and I realized that he had peed on the bed. I start to get mad at him, and he hushes me. And I ask him what's wrong, and he says, there's a man on the ceiling. And I had no idea what he meant, so I asked again, and he said, there's a man on the ceiling. So I climbed over and peeked out from underneath at the top bunk, and I saw what I can only describe as the figure of a man that was darker than the darkness around it on the ceiling as if it was on all fours looking down at us. There were no noises. I didn't watch it long enough to see if it had moved, but we spent the rest of that night too terrified to make a sound, too terrified to move. Eventually, light came in through my window. We checked and nothing was there, and uh, my husband refused to talk about it in the morning, and, and that's it for that part of the story. The reason I thought of it was that uh, until very recently, I had looked back on those experiences in that particular house and thought that it must just be my childhood imagination, but I mentioned it to my grandmother and my grandfather, and they responded by saying, oh yes, that house was very haunted. I was confused, so I started to ask them about their experiences, and they reported shadowy figures pacing through the hallways at nighttime, standing in doorways, all sorts of strange sounds, voices, shining eyes in the darkness of the house. So it sort of lent some credit for my memory of the story. I thought, anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, you have a great day. Thank you, John. Talk about nightmare fuel. This feels like something literally out of a horror film. There's a man on the ceiling. That's not something you hear every day. And luckily, not something that's experienced all that often either. Now, I don't know where this place is, but I can't help but think it's perfect for some sort of investigation. Especially given the grandparents' confirmation of the activity. A shadow man portal or spawn point or residence or something. Now, I suppose our imagination is the limit there. But that visual of a man on the ceiling requires no imagination. Now, an image like that, well, it could burn straight into your soul. So thanks again, John, for making it harder for all of us to sleep tonight. And that brings us to what I like to call our final call of the evening. And if you thought John's story was wild... Wait till you get a load of this one from Nick's dad in the state of Georgia. Okay, so in uh, about 98, I moved from California to Georgia to work as a body shop manager with my cousin, and my brother followed me out in about 2002 to work with me. He came out with... Very little, stayed with us for a minute, and then he got his own his little house, and it was a cute little house. It was built in the late 1800s. It looked nice from the outside. It did not feel good from the inside, and I discovered that about nine o'clock one night when I was helping him load in the furniture into the house, and I walked into the house. I went, "Oh man!" My hair stood up on the back of my neck, and it just felt ill at ease and I was like I man this isn't this place isn't cool at all and I 
went out for another load. We were unloading the truck and the trailer and, and pulled it in there, and I hefted in a dresser into the back of, his, back of the house into his bedroom. And as soon as I set it down, I heard whispering, a heated whispering, almost an argument between two people that seemed to be hovering in the top of the ceiling area of the room up to my right-hand corner. And I naturally flinched and ducked and ran out of the room. And I met my brother at the truck, and he was taking the ratchet straps off another part of the load. And I said, hey, uh, bud, are you, you going to be able to live here? And he's like, oh, you noticed that? I was like, yeah, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's uh, pretty intense. And he says, no, no. He says, I, I prayed about it. He's like, we're, we're good. I was like, yeah, all right, as long as you're good. I, I'm not good, but I'm going to help you, but I'm going home, and I probably won't come back here. And he's like, no, we're good, we're good. I said, all right. Well, over the intervening next month or two that they were in the house, there were events that were pretty terrifying. My nephew, who was about eight at the time, was soaking in the bathtub. He sat up to be surprised by a naked old man sitting in the bathtub with him and it took about two days to calm him down and he never took baths after that he would take sponge baths and he was just the smelly little boy every time dylan came over we'd put him in our shower (laughs) but um my brother fell asleep one night on the couch and he didn't know if he was dreaming or if he was in a half sleep, but he had the sensation that there was an old man to his right and an old ma- lady to his left on the couch, and they were arguing back and forth about whether they were going to allow my brother and his family to stay at the house. And they never came to a resolution by the time that he woke up or at least regained consciousness of what was going on. And there's little things, little things, cupboards and doors and that sort of thing. But one day he was at work with me and he handed the phone. He's like, can I take the truck? I said, where are you going? It was about two o'clock in the afternoon. And he was in a panic. He said, I've got to get to the house. I've got to get to the house. I said, well, fine. And I tossed him the keys and he drove to the house. And I didn't talk to him until the next day. And then we were at work. And he's like, uh, Jeremy called me yesterday and said that defects and cps and the columbus police department were at the house and he was in a panic and he raced home and and uh, come to find out that his four-year-old daughter was walking down a very very busy street about four blocks from the house unattended with her hand in the air like she was holding somebody's hand and she was just going for a stroll And after all of the drama and the citations and the promised investigations and all everything that goes with that as to why you have an unattended four-year-old walking down the street, he got everybody to bed and he talked to his daughter and he's like, baby, what happened? And she's like, well, the old lady. And he says, what old lady, baby? She's like, the old lady that lives here. And he knew what she was talking about, but he didn't want to say that to his four-year-old. And... She said, the old lady, she just, we wanted to go for a walk, so we went for a walk. He's like, how did you get out of the house? She's like, oh, by the kitchen door. He's like, baby, come on. He's like, I'm, I'm not telling you you're a liar or anything like that, but I'm the only one strong enough in the house because the door was sprung, and it, it took my brother six foot two and about 350 pounds, and he was the only one strong enough to open the door. Everybody took the side door. And she's like, well, no, the old lady opened it. He's like, baby, there's nobody can open the door but me. She's like, no, daddy, the old lady opened the door. And then we petted the dog, and I don't remember the dog's name, but we petted the dog for a little bit, went through the side gate, and went for a walk. And she was so genuine and so honest at four years old, he couldn't call her a liar. And he's like, I don't, 
I don't know what to think. So you told me the story. I'm like, you need to move. And they did. And I helped them move again that night. And that was the last time we'd been there. And it's it's about three miles from where we live. And I drive by from time to time and go, oh, that's that house. And it looks like a perfectly normal, acceptable house, except for what's inside. Thanks, Derek. I appreciate your show. I love it. I'm Nick from Georgia's dad. Yeah, so he's laughing at me right now because I'm I'm telling the story. But anyway, thank you. I love the story. I've heard all of your episodes. Sometimes I listen to them twice because I miss a little detail or something. So keep up the good work, and I appreciate it, man. Bye. Thank you, sir. Where do I even begin? First off, could you imagine relaxing in the tub, only to open your eyes and be greeted by a ghostly naked old man? Traumatizing wouldn't even begin to describe it. And I don't think anyone could blame him for being the stinky kid after that. I can't help but feel the same fate would befall any of us, placed in that petrifying position. Poor Dylan. And could you imagine witnessing an argument between two ghosts, deciding whether or not they will allow new residents to remain in the house? So many questions bubble up in my brain. Who was for and who was against? What Beetlejuice-esque techniques did they have planned to rid the house of its human infestation? I somehow doubt it's designer sheets with holes cut for the eyes. But above all that, could you even fathom the incident that took place with the four-year-old daughter? How would you even begin to explain that sequence of events to the police? How would you even start? Do you tell them about the activity? Do you show them the door that she couldn't have opened? Do you let them come inside and feel for themselves? I suppose all that depends on just how much trouble the parents were in and just how open-minded the police might have been. Either way, I certainly wouldn't want to be in that situation. And you know, if I'm already investigating John's shadow man lair, we should certainly work our way east to investigate this place as well. Who's up for a good old-fashioned Georgia stakeout? A big thanks again, Nick's dad. What a way to cap off the main show. Because that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. If you have it in your heart, please follow us on social media. We have accounts at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're also found over at YouTube if you're into that sort of thing. And if you're able and don't mind, please consider leaving us five stars and a nice review wherever that's possible. Finally, Tonight's score was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.AG Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Stay spooky out there. And until next week.
Have you ever been on a road trip and you stopped to pick up some fast food? A burger, chicken sandwich, and some fries, of course. You always have to have the fries. Now I have a method. I eat the fries first, then I begin on the burger. You see, I can handle a less than piping hot sandwich, but I couldn't tolerate a cold french fry. Anyhow, you finish your fries, careful to keep the grease off the steering wheel. Then you wolf down that burger. A pinkish-colored sauce still dribbling from your chin, your shirt, or both. And that's when you think the temporary dopamine rush is over, and you come crashing back down to your blacktop reality. But, as you plunge your hand back into the bag to retrieve a napkin to wipe that pink sauce, you find it. That bonus french fry. Somehow it's bigger than all the others. It's saltier and greasier. Maybe a little bit cold, but that little bonus will make your night. And that's almost exactly what I have for you here this evening. A bonus fry in story form from a fellow traveler. I'd like to welcome back to the program, Trucker Jerry. This time, from the state of Wyoming. Hello, Derek. This is Trucker Jerry out here in Wyoming. It is December 15th, 2021. This morning at about 4.30 a.m., I was driving through the Black Hills, and I seen on the shoulder what I thought at first was just an elk, which is pretty common. But as I got closer, I realized it was like taller and skinnier than an elk. The coloring wasn't quite right either. The most notable difference was that it, like, I don't know if you're familiar with the way like elk's antlers looks, but this didn't have like antlers. It had two horns that were kind of curled the way like a gazelle's horns are. And when I got close to it, it appeared to stand up on its hind legs and walk across the road in front of me. I, I don't know what to make of it. I've never encountered anything quite like that. When it was on the side of the road, I would say the line of its back was about even with the window of the cab of my truck. And when it stood up, its head was probably easily to the top of my windshield and that's probably 10 feet off the ground something like that so i i don't know this is the first time i've ever experienced something of a cryptid type nature i've it, it's was not it didn't look right the more i thought about it the more i thought about the way it looked the way its fur was colored it was like, you remember those toys when we were kids that you could kind of stretch out so they got like skinnier and taller? That's the way it looked on the shoulder. And then when it stood up, it was really, really strange. It was really off. But yeah, that just happened to me this morning. And uh, I figured I'd call and share with you guys. Hope you can use it for the show. Love everything you do. Keep it up. Thank you, Jerry. It's always good hearing from you. Well, you know, I think this one could go one of four ways. And let's get the first one out of the way fast. It could be a hoax. Maybe a story Jerry made up to get on a podcast. 
Or maybe someone actually hoaxed Jerry. Perhaps they donned a suit and everything. But that's the least likely scenario for me. The next likely is a natural explanation. Many people probably don't realize this, but the Black Hills of Wyoming and South Dakota are now the home of mountain goats. Now these are huge, wild goats. They're white in color and upwards of 350 pounds and 8 feet when standing on their back legs, which I'm not only convinced they can do, but do convincingly. These guys are nimble AF. And of course, they have gazelle-like horns atop their heads. A little side note about these goats. They're not native to the area, but rather the Rocky Mountains. They were accidentally introduced when a few escaped from the Custer State Park Zoo back in the 1920s. So some residents of the Black Hills might not even know a thriving population exists there. Well then of course there's this theory. That what Jerry saw was perhaps something paranormal. Maybe it was one of those goat men we discussed on past episodes. Prominent legends already existing in places like Kentucky, Tennessee, and Maryland. And as we uncovered back in season 11, there's another lesser known hotspot right in the area of Jerry's experience. Sort of. The states of Wyoming, South Dakota, and Montana, they're huge places. So when I'm about to say things are quote-unquote close, I'm speaking in relation to these states' enormous sizes. But back in season 11, we received a series of calls from folks in and around the state of Montana that seemed to describe the exact same creature that Jerry claimed to have seen. Calls like these two, from Deanna and an anonymous caller. She was explaining about the goat man of Browning, Montana. And how there's a specific stretch of highway where a goat man typically will run parallel with cars or will stop vehicles by standing out in the middle of the road on this highway. I guess he looks like a little satyr, like the one off of the Disney movie, The Hercules. But he uh, he's a smaller goat in stature goat man (laughs) but he does have the curled horns and he's got red glowing eyes and fangs for teeth and you know he was just she was scared I remember her being absolutely terrified but he told me a story of when he was about eight years old he was walking along the street below the cemetery from a friend's house And up on the hill in the cemetery, he saw what he described as a devil. He said it was a large, bluish-black furry creature with horns, and that the legs were like they were on backwards. They bent the wrong direction. And he said, you know, I told one of my good friends about it, the friend whose house I was at, and he said he had seen it too, but they never talked about it. Now to hear more on those two calls, hit up Season 11, Episode 14 of this series. So is it possible that there is some sort of creature roaming around the northern plains and badlands? It seems the anecdotal evidence may suggest so. But then of course there's the fourth option, which to me could be literally anything else. An alien, ghosts, trees that looked goatish, hallucination 
the fog on a strange wind, etc., etc. You see, the point is, you always give yourself an escape route. Because, quite frankly, the only thing I know for certain about this encounter is that it was downright terrifying. So weigh each of those options in your own gray matter and make your own determination. And thank you again, Jerry, for sharing. And please be careful out there. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is where we transition from the main show to the paid content. And if you don't already have access, jump on over to patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast and sign up for that $5 level. That will give you instant access to what lay beyond us here tonight, as well as some 48 hours of previous bonus content, in addition to access to behind-the-scenes information and access to our VIP shop. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash monstersamonguspodcast.com and click that $5 level. Now, speaking of law enforcement and its connection to the paranormal, check out this little number from Amanda, the state of Vermont. Hey, Derek. Amanda here again from Milton, Vermont, up in New England. I called a while back about a creepy thing that happened to me at the Milton Rescue Station. And I was listening...